Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Today we're going to talk about a minister that generally flies under the radar um, for us ordinary people, not so much for business people, but flies under the radar and could probably be considered one of the biggest blockages in the ability for South Africa to economy to grow, to limit red tape, and to actually get things done. And that is because by nature of his personality. And to discuss it with me, uh, I would like to welcome Senior Policy Analyst of the Centre for Risk Analysis, Chris Hutton. Hi, Chris. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning to the listeners. Always good to get to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about Ibrahim Patel. Now, I remember Ibrahim Patel from the days when he was the General Secretary of the South African Textile Workers Union. And as I recall, because of his failure, refusal, I'm not quite sure what it was, to accept that the textile industry needed to operate on perhaps less than ideal wages, but to keep going, to keep alive and to be competitive, it needed to operate under the official wage that was uh, laid down by the bargaining council. And I think one can almost say that he single-handedly destroyed South Africa's textile industry as a result. Ibrahim Patel is now the Minister of Trade, Industry and Competition. He seems hardworking. He seems dedicated. Broadly speaking, with, before we go into the specifics, what's the problem with Ibrahim Patel, Chris? I think the biggest problem and this falls to a lot of other ministers and bureaucrats in our government broadly is is ideas and philosophy and ideology so very to, to try and give credit or to try and be i guess devil's advocate people who want things to improve and want the economy to grow but because their ideology demands that they are in control of the economy that they're in control of of business decisions that they're in control of people's uh, investment choices they know best they enact policies and regulations and laws that inhibit those things from taking place in the first place so if you look at textiles for example just how protected and brittle that industry has become in south africa our auto industry as well um, all because of of number one subsidies and also secondly because People like Minister Patel think that they know best to how businesses should invest in those sectors. And unfortunately, that means those businesses haven't grown as much as they could have. Um, mm -hmm. So people such as the minister and others will point to the successes, quote unquote, of those industries and how well they're performing now. But it's for a very select few. Um, it's not as robust as it could have been. Um, South Africa could have indeed been leading in terms of um, electric vehicles and components and that sort of thing, our manufacturing capacity could have been much higher than it currently is. But because the wrong decisions were made before, those industries, I think, have steadily declined and are not, not nearly what they they should be now. Um, I think the problem with uh, with Patel and, uh, and his predecessor, Rob Davies, is that he is a genuinely committed Marxist. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, the, the, as you say, the, the decision-making from the top is always the right decision-making, notwithstanding the criticism that despite some moves to cut red tape, he's, a, he's been described as actively kneecapping uh, investment in South Africa. Mm -hmm. 
by, as you say, trying to force businesses to do things its way. Now, uh, the problem, of course, with that is that the, the very the, the very tension is between him thinking that as a minister he can dictate how how business should be run in the country versus businesses large and small who actually know what needs to be delivered and mm-hmm. what to be provided to to the society. It's 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 such a fundamental sort of distinction between the two sides that I, my concern is that the, the, the threat that Ibrahim Patel brings to the society is that while we're looking at the sort of more flamboyant ministers, um, he's quietly beavering away, sorry, beavering away mm-hmm. and meddling where he shouldn't be meddling. Yeah, to, to give the minister credit, he has been incredibly effective in implementing uh, his ideas and his policies and his plans in a way that doesn't grab attention as much as as ministers who say silly things and who uh, who attack civil society representatives at media briefings and uh, and that sort of thing. So that is probably to to his credit. I think it also indicates a bit of that uh, that bureau- bureaucratic side of of how he operates and how others in the government also operate where. There's a disconnect between between their view of, of society in the corridors of power versus how things happen on the ground. So you've got this vision of how South Africa should look and how it should work, and we need to, to localize and industrialize. But on the other hand, we aren't supplying reliable and cheap electricity to, to mines and to factories, for example, to grow. So there's that – it's the idea also of the smart cities on the one hand versus mm-hmm. – just rolling out mobile data access and more spectrum on the other hand. So it's that serious disconnect between these grand visions of utopia versus getting the basics of governance uh, right. Just last week, the Auditor General released the reports about the the progress or lack thereof being made in in repairs in KZN after the floods earlier Mm -hmm. this year, those devastating floods. And I think, again, you had... President Ramaphosa, you had former um, KZN Premier Mr. Zikalala. They visited, you know, very not not recently enough, but not not soon enough after those floods. But they were there. They said things would be repaired and fixed. But this report shows that almost four months after the fact, pretty much nothing has been done. So Mm -hmm. this is a pervasive problem across government, and it points to ministers again, such as Minister Patel, who've got their idea of how things should go, but not. Not doing the hard necessary work of of capacitating their departments, of giving them the necessary skills, of of working with private businesses and communities, working with organisations like Gift of the Givers. I think you see a serious disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like it, you know what I've always found strange about not giving the 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 not working with the private sector properly and not giving them space is that. People only care that things are done, and if it's the task of the government to get things done and to get done they'll look favorably on the government for getting things done. They're not going to seek out the particular uh, private company that that, uh, that that assisted. The government got it done. That's all that matters. But that doesn't seem to be an idea that, that filters through to the uh, to, to the ministries. Can I ask you about the his involvement in the Burger King deal of last year? Because he is the minister of of trade, industry, and competition, and that, that he seems to relish interfering with what he thinks is uncompetitive for one reason or, or another. 
I gather he 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 played a role in blocking the deal because of a, a lack of black economic empowerment provisions in the deal. And the irony of that particular of that particular provision was that the members of the consortium who were going to buy Burger King, many of whom were black themselves, and they wanted to buy the consortium, as did the group that they were buying it from. They were, were black members of that of that side. Were wanted to sell the the uh, the Burger King to to the to the uh, to the new group, and he, he made it very difficult for them. He required harsh commitments to invest further, not to cut jobs, to implement BEE. I mean, if I if I were buying something like Burger King, I'm not sure I wouldn't have said, you know, I'm going to take my investment elsewhere. No, absolutely. And I think we're seeing growing concerns about the role of the Competition Commission of ITAC, the the sort of uh, government body that Im- imposes tariffs and investigates uh, dumping cases, that sort of thing. And they're all coordinated largely by Minister Patel. Not to just focus on him, but this points to a view I think many in government hold, including Ms. Mrs. Kubai who's the ANC's head of economic policy, who said a few months ago that business must invest in the country unconditionally. Mm. So this view that capital, regardless of how difficult things are and regardless of how difficult government makes it for business and for investors, those with capital should invest in the country because it's their quote-unquote duty or because Mm. they should give back or they should do the right thing, you know, according to government. But but there's no onus on government to actually fix its house and get its Mm. things in order. So this idea of, it's simply government's right to tell people invest on these terms and you must do so accordingly, regardless of how difficult it might be for you to do business. And as you rightly point out, given the country, the state of the country at the moment, if you don't get the necessary capital investment, the capital formation, business opportunities being created, it is low to middle income black South Africans who are going to suffer the most who don't get those job opportunities. So in trying to quote unquote help black South Africans, a lot of these regulations and laws affect them negatively the most because it excludes them from economic opportunities. It reduces people to reliance on government grants, for example. Perhaps, I mean, one one often wonders why are these decisions made? Why, you know, why doesn't government realize if it only does this, it will be more popular? That might not be its intention. Um, mm. It might very well be the case that many in government feel it is right for citizens to have to rely on the state for pretty much everything. And one can argue that they've been pretty effective in, in implementing that over the last 15 to 10 years. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think I, I think that's part of it. Um, I think that's, that's the, the kind interpretation. The unkind interpretation is that they believe it's their duty to deliver um, and they can't because the, the levels of corruption and incompetence are so great that uh, mm-hmm. that they are unable to do so talk to us about uh, localization because this is a this is a very much one of patel's hobby horses uh, what is it and what effect does it have or likely to have on uh, the growth of the economy so just broadly um, localization is the idea of trying to produce goods, uh, components, products, more of them locally versus importing them. It's, um, it's trying to, to grow your own manufacturing capacity in your country. So in my view, localization can be achieved in mainly two ways. Number one is by imposing higher tariffs and duties on imported goods. So you make it more costly to bring those things in so that citizens will buy 
more things locally. And secondly, you can uh, achieve localization through subsidies. So you subsidize businesses, um, mines, farmers, um, local manufacturers, so that they can compete with international uh, competition, as it were. I think what one can try and be gracious and say, you know, there's a thing about buying locally and reshoring your supply chains that might mean that you're less exposed to global risks, um, as is the case at, at the moment in the world with things so uncertain. So there's an element of of being of being pro-localization, but the way you achieve it, I think, is the main issue. I think there's a much better way to achieve localization. For example, again, breaking up the ESCOM monopoly, ensuring that citizens have access to reliable, cheap um, electricity from different competitors would mean that South Africa's manufacturing capacity would automatically grow a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like removing the incredibly high tariffs on imported electric vehicles would mean that South Africans, if they so choose to, if they want to shift to renewables, that they're able to do so. Um, If you're so concerned about climate change and you, you want people to be able to deal with that, I think one of the better ways is, for example, not demanding that ESCOM procure its solar panels from only one local supplier, um, but can supply can get those from many suppliers because if that one local supply goes down, then ESCOM is is in a bind. It can't move to different forms of of electricity generation. It can't um, sort of risk proof proof itself. So all in all, localization aims to to increase a country's manufacturing capacity and the buying of local goods. But I think at the end of the day, number one, you do it in a top down way. That uh, that simply means that you're going to give subsidies to those who are well connected politically. Um, they're going to benefit. From those connections, they're going to be protected from improving, from from upping their game because they'll know they can always rely on state support. Mm-hmm. And you're going to affect, again, low and middle income consumers the most because they're going to have to pay more to import products that they would have used before that they simply want to buy. And it's their right to, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, one can't dictate to people what they should buy and from whom. It's a very sort of paternalistic, centralized point of view. I mean, from a sort of uninformed view, the idea of buying solar panels from one supplier only only suggests some form of corruption and uh, and and, nepot- or nep- and mm-hmm. nepotism on the on the part of government. I mean, it, it, it doesn't to me it doesn't otherwise make sense. And uh, you know, the only thing that worries me about the electric cars um, is that they're probably doing us a favour because we don't have the electricity to. <laughs> To drive electric cars, well, you know, whatever. Um, I, I see that they. He 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 said it was really quite funny because it was worded as "I come from on high to allow small businesses to 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 work together to sort of, you know, even though it, it might be uh, not good for competition." I thought that was rather strange. I mean, um, who? How how would he? I mean, I know he has the power to uh, split up businesses because things are not competitive, or not allow um, uh, purchases of businesses to go through because the the, the, the environment becomes less uh, less competitive. But small business, I mean, uh, I don't understand it. Uh, am I missing something? No, I mean, I think your 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 sense of trying to make sense of. The latest pronouncements indicates the corner into which the minister has forced himself and in which many bureaucrats and politicians force themselves with this thing of they know best how businesses should interact with each other and with consumers. But now that they've 
realize the destructive effects of those regulations and those ideas they're trying to mm. to adapt to the situation it's more being being forced by the devastation of reality into a different position versus realizing oh this is the necessary consequence of my ideas of my of my ideology um so the, the very novel concept that that businesses should be allowed to to engage with each other on their own terms if it's to their mutual benefit it's quite the the free market admission by the minister, mm-hmm. but I think it's by a serious change of heart or anything, and it will mm-hmm. be it will be walked back upon mm-hmm. um, at some point in the future. Uh, just on that that point you made about the solar panels again, the intention of wanting to to include maybe uh, black owned businesses, black owned manufacturers in in government contracts and in business, but with the long term effect being that only those with the necessary connections get those contracts, which means mm-hmm. Others who would have been able to get more market share simply won't enter the market, or that they'll be they'll be stifled because mm. others will get government subsidies. So again, you have the the long term ripple effects of fewer players in that market and fewer job opportunities in the long run. I think the, one of the ironies uh, talking about solar panels is the fact that because of the disaster that is ESCOM, private sector ordinary homeowners are purchasing solar panels or installing solar as, as an alternative or as a backup. And so that the small the, the, the small providers are thriving by virtue of the competition. They're doing exactly what one wants small businesses to do. And 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 prices are varying uh, depending on who, who you seek and who and you, you know you go and get uh, quotes. So that so the, the private sector operating on free market on a free market basis far away from government is exact is is working exactly as it should. Yes, absolutely, and I think that maybe we should take heart in that. I mean, it's always difficult. It's difficult in our line of work to to find glimmers of hope. But consumers and markets do ultimately find a way, no matter the best intent or the worst intentions of of central planners. Even after two years of lockdowns, mm. people still try to find ways to fulfil their basic needs. They try to care for each other. They try to look after each other and find other sources of goods and food and all that sort of thing. So people are, are more resilient, I think, than politicians sometimes hope for. I know that this week cabinet is beginning a debate about introducing an economic relief package in South Africa, as some European governments are now doing with the rise of, of energy uh, in Europe, the, the cost of energy. And I, I wonder maybe the best way for cabinet to quote unquote intervene is to do nothing and to remove, for example, those taxes that they take as part of the petrol price or those local content requirements that increase the cost of importing solar panels. So that by doing those things, you you give South Africans the space to not be so reliant on the state. But of course, I don't think those are the, the interventions that cabinet will ultimately come up with. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Chris, part of that sort of realization or urgent realization that, you ca- that things cannot be done the way they have been done is that uh, Patel has suspended anti-dumping duties on chicken imported from five countries for 12 months. And they and he cites the fight against food inflation and its effects on the poor. Uh, is this a moment of a, bl- a blinding light that we go, you know, people, the situation in this country is dire. People, more people are poor, more people are unemployed. And uh, chicken is the largest source of protein for 
for the South African public. And so he's done the unthinkable. He's uh, he's sort of said to the local producers, well, stuff you, I'm going to do this to feed the poor. I'm letting the chickens in from, from elsewhere. What impact does this have on our relations, both with our local farmers and with uh, and with uh, AGOA, the uh, agreement of uh, favorable uh, trade duties on uh, on South African goods in America. Oh, the chickens have come home to roost, as it were. Why couldn't this have been made earlier if, the, if there's recognition that that tariffs negatively impact on, on low and middle income consumers, especially. I, as far as I understand, just from this particular one, it, it wasn't, and I'll need to go double check again, but the suspension of tariffs, but it's a pause, a moratorium on the imposition of higher tariffs uh, for oh, 12 okay. months. So there are still, so, so, yeah, so, so it's still the case. It's a case of not increasing them for the next Yes, months. yes. So it's a bit of a, a gap for the next 12 months and we won't go higher with these things. I mean, a lot of local chicken producers have, and associations, they've been very engaged with the Department of Trade and Industry for the last, especially 10 years, and they've they've promised more job creation and more locally sourced chicken and chicken byproducts, but that hasn't realized. So you've had subsidies and you've had high tariffs on imported chicken, but you haven't had the delivery on the promises that local mm. producers made. So I think there's a, a clear disc. I mean, same thing with steel, for example, the issue with scrap metal now, mm. um, ArcelorMittal calling for for DTIC to intervene there to protect them. But they, you see, this is the, the sort of rabbit hole you go into with subsidies and tariffs where you've got them and you've got promises of, of local goods being upped and local quality being upped. But by providing subsidies, you incentivize local businesses from not upping their game, from not improving, from not being as agile against their international competition, as it were. Now, the counter argument, of course, is that other governments give subsidies to their businesses and we should do the same because they dump here, that sort of thing. I don't think we should we should thank those governments for providing subsidies to those businesses because then we get cheaper imported goods and South African mm-hmm. consumers can then spend their money on and other things as it were. So it shouldn't be don't don't cut off your nose to spite your face sort of thing and think tit for tat and, and that sort of thing. That doesn't make it right. But other governments give their businesses subsidies, but I do think it, it helps consumers here um, over the long run. I think I think this, there will be a reversal of this again, probably within the next 12 months, if not sooner, because the ideology dictates that this is too much of an admission on the part of Minister Patel and government that their that their regulations have not produced the nest, the, the results they wanted. So I'm sure that that gives them much more sleepless nights. This this very clear, mm. concrete refutal of their ideology mm. than, for example, record high unemployment. I think so. that sort of embarrassment of look mm. how our policies have failed, we have to walk back on them, that will motivate them to go back on, on these announcements very quickly. Can I just ask one last question again, sort of from the ideological point of view, is that because they, we have so many appallingly bad ministers who make a lot of noise and generally get much more attention because they are more visible, Patel perhaps is, is, is a very good example of 
where Sir Ramaphosa stands ideolo- ideologically, um, there is absolutely no sense that his position is at any is at risk for any reason. Um, he's beavering away in terms of a socialist ideology and a plan to reach ultimately communism. Isn't he the sort of guy we should look at and re- to realise that um, that Sir Ramaphosa is not a reformer? Yeah, I mean to to maybe give President Ramaphosa some credit. I think he is a reformer in terms of he he wants the the party and government to recommit to its core tenets. It, he mm. does want to reform them away from the the distractions of things like state capture onto their vision of the National Democratic Revolution and taking charge of the South African society. So in that way, by him keeping people such as um, Minister Patel in in, in their position. He's indicating that this is the long-term view and these are the long-term importance and goals that his administration and his party want to attain. Of course, that idea that the ANC and the the state, as it were, are the same thing and it's right for the ANC to use the the power and the tools of the state to form society in the shape that it wants. Um, I think that very much points to, I think it's a very good point from, from your side that President Ramaphosa is committed to to attaining that glorious ANC vision. In the present circumstances, that sounds extremely sad, if not pathetic. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us and uh, enlightening us about the complexity of our trade industry and uh, competitions environment. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back in the not too distant future to look at some other um, aspect of South African governance. Thank you very much, Sarah. Much appreciated.